all that, but it, I'm 53 tomorrow, so I have excuses for forgetting things. Am I right? <laughs> how many guys are over 53? How many guys have to ask your wife, how old am I right now? Is to raise my hand or not? So today, let me just say this. I, I want us to be careful we have the proper definition of holiness, because I think if holiness has to do with the length of our shorts but not the depths of our hearts, we're missing something. I think if holiness has to do with my morality overlapped as an enforced morality in your life, we're missing something. The, there's a reason to be holy, but, but I would say this, the holiness is the fruit of a relationship. It cannot be um, what gets us into a relationship. Does that make any sense to you? So holiness, as I understand it, is, is when I spend time with the Holy One, I become holy. Versus I am unacceptable, unpleasing to, undesired by, unpursued by the Holy One unless I obey these rules. And, I, and I'll say this, and I want to say it really well, and I may say it poorly, so you put on your translators, okay? I'm concerned about what we have decided is holy behavior and what is not holy behavior. And I'll show to you in Scripture in a little while what may be holy for you is not a requirement that's even placed on my life by God himself. And what's a requirement of holiness for me may not be what God is saying to you. And we're not going to get into relativism where it's all everybody just do whatever you want to do and it doesn't matter what you think. Scripture will tell us clearly, but there's, I, I want us to get into the understanding of what holiness really is. When I am with God in prayer, in worship, in life, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, that, that transformational encounter with who he is should be transforming who I am. Is that true? The best holiness comes from relationship with the Holy One. The worst holiness comes from relationship with religious bigots, religious hypocrites. And I will say this to you. I have a concern that the number one complaint of an unbelieving world is, is a church that supposedly believes, but the only evidence we have is the length of our shorts and not the content of our character, the, the, that we don't wear makeup or something, or our earrings are of a reasonable holiness standard size. And I'm, I'm going way back to standards. Some young people are like, makeup, earrings. There was a season, for, for people that are under 50, there was a season where if you were holy, you, 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 all you saw was like fingertips and you couldn't even like wear sandals because, you know, the toes were central. I'm like, how, how messed up were the guys in the 50s that they had to wear like shoes without heels because men would lust over women's toes. It's like, it's not holiness. It's if it's an expression of what came out of the presence of God, I chose to be utterly modest, then that modesty standard is a beautiful thing. But if it comes from a religious church that says, you're not welcome here if I can see your toes, then it's no wonder a, a, an unbelieving world would look at a supposedly believing church and say, all I see is a standard of, of outward holiness, but I, you're, you're unloving. How many of you know the greatest evidence of our time with God should be our character is like His? That our, our attitude should be like His. Our love should be deeper than our religious biases. And so today, I want to talk to you about holiness, and I want to show you that, that this fruit comes from a journey. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 says this, My son, if you accept my words and start my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight, I need insight, and cry aloud, God, give me understanding. And if you look for it like, like a treasure hunt, like for silver, if you look for it like hidden treasure, then, everybody say then then you're going to understand the fear of the Lord, the awe of God, and you're going to find the knowledge, that intimate, interactive, who He is, what He cares about, knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success. Everybody say success. We, we, we want this, right? He holds success in our marriage, success in our life, success in raising our kids. In store for the upright, those who stand up like they should. 
He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. You can walk on it, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Isn't that interesting that the heart and the soul almost bypass the brain? It's not what we know, it's what we live. When you know the Lord, there'll be this fruit that comes out of your heart and your soul. It'll be pleasant. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Look at the, maybe a more familiar one that comes and says this. He leads me in the paths of being right, doing right, knowing right for his namesake. Psalms 23.3. Look at this. The Bible uses a lot of words that talk about motion, talk about journey. From the very beginning, Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, it talks about how God would come during the cool of the day and he would walk with people. God has never been distant from mankind. Mankind has been distant from God, but God has never been distant from mankind. God's desire, the reason he made us is not because he needed someone to mow the lawn, it's because he wanted to share who he was with somebody. God is, it's all about relationship. Everybody say relationship. Everything that we're doing here today, everything that we're doing with each other tomorrow night or on the campfire or in the altars or, or in the women's service, the guys' time, everything we're doing is about relationship, relationship with God, relationship with each other. This is the will of the Lord, that we would know him, love him, know each other, love each other, and walk uprightly before him all the days of our lives. Like sands through an hourglass, so should pass the days of our lives. It talks about this journey. It talks about a walk. It talks about the course that we're on, the way that we walk, the paths that we're on. So... A holy life is a journey. It's not a destination. I don't cuss, I don't chew, and I don't run with girls that do. Well, congratulations. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> you have morality, but understand this. The Pharisees were utterly moral and completely distant from God. See, self-righteousness and righteousness will look the same as far as what we do and what we don't do. But righteousness brings with it the character of who he is. You can fake not doing things. You can fake abstaining. You can fake, you know, faithfulness. But you cannot fake love. Eventually, you'll grow impatient, and the impatience will prove the lack of love. Eventually, you will be unkind, and unkindness will show there was no fruit on the tree that you, that you said was, was a fruitful tree. So we, we're going to talk about every day how we journey. We're going to go somewhere. This, this path of holiness, this journey, this walk that we're on, is an, you are, you're involved in this. You're engaged in this. You're going somewhere. And some paths, I'll be really honest with you, are dangerous. Uh, the first 11 verses of Proverbs 2 talks about how great life can be. The second 11 verses, 12 through 22, just the opposite. And if you don't do this, you're toast. You're alpo. You're alpo on toast. Old, dry, dead, moldy toast. You don't stand a chance. You're going to be punished. You're, because you're sowing bad seeds, you're going to sow dandelions. Don't expect wheat to come out. Dandelions are going to come out. So Proverbs chapter 2, again, talks about this. So, so what? So how are we supposed to know what the right paths are for our lives? And this is the crux of the teaching. I want to give you three questions that you should get into your repertoire, into your heart, into your mind before decisions or as decisions are made. As we walk closer with the Lord, we should expect certain things to fall away, and we should expect certain things to come in. Come on, say amen. As we, as we, as we spend time in our marriage, we should expect certain behaviors to fall away, we should expect other behaviors to, to come together. I have learned to enjoy shopping. Okay, I've learned to pretend like I'm enjoying shopping. And she has learned to pretend to, to bait a hook and catch a fish. Why? Because we love each other, we're beginning to, to become more like each other. The two becoming 
One is marriage. In the same thing with God, as I draw closer to the Lord, there will be certain things God says, that's no longer for you. That's what you did before me, but now that there's me, you don't need that anymore. Alcohol is one of those things that fell off for me. I, why? Not because, you know, God delivered me. He did, but, but greater than the prayer time and the casting out of and the, the infusing of and the empowering of. Honestly, what I was looking for at the bottom of the bottle, I found on my knees at an altar. So, so when I found the original, I didn't need to be pickled with the imitation. It's, I just had something better. I don't have to sacrifice and discipline myself to give up hot dogs if there's filet mignon at the same buffet. Oh, you're so holy. No, no, I just found where the steak is. <laughs> and so the ring bologna and the tube steak, I gave it up. Why? Because you're so self-disciplined. No, I found the superior pleasures of Christ. As we walk with the Lord, we won't become more holy, and it gets harder and harder and harder and harder. If it's getting harder and harder and harder, something's missing. Something's wrong. The fruit of relationship is holiness. As I know him, as I enjoy him, as I worship, as I pray, as I read, as I spend time sharpening iron with other men, other people, what happens is I draw closer to the Lord. It doesn't get harder. It actually gets more glorious. And the more that I strive for the glory of God, I find that God has people sing happy birthday to me. Make sense? So today I want to give you three tests. Number one, we don't have much time. Number one is the upward test. You have to ask yourself a simple question before you do anything or don't do anything, and it's just this. Is this path blessed or prohibited by God in his word? Some things we don't need to guess. Should I kill my neighbor? Hmm. Does he deserve it? Not the question you should ask. <laughs> you know, should I be mad and pout for the next three days and wound my spouse because they hurt my feelings? Hmm. Like, like... Is this behavior prohibited or is it blessed in Scripture? Let me tell you something, guys. Say, well, I, you know, I don't feel like, and she doesn't, and he always, and my neighbor never, and the dog next Stop. God's word is the last word in every matter. If God's word says it, that's about the end of it right there. And it says this. If you want to walk on this journey without stumbling, Psalms 119 says this. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. I've taken an oath and I've confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. Now, now why, is that, why do you have to take an oath? To, uh, to follow God's righteous laws. I'll tell you this. Sometimes God tells me to do stuff I don't want to do. How about you? Matter of fact, there are times when what I want to do is directly contradicted by what God has told me to do. And I won't say sometimes. I'll say most of the time. A lot of the time, when I'm, like, that's it. I'm, it's, it's the scriptures that say, wait, wait a minute, before you do that, maybe we should back up and see what God's told us to do. I have to submit myself to God's word when I don't want to do what God says to do. And that's kind of, in, in my life, a lot of it. Some of the answers in his word, they're hard. And they're contradictory to my emotions. And they're contradictory even to logic. Um, see, what's, what's right doesn't always seem right. What's right doesn't always feel right. But what's right is always right. And God's word, if you want to be righteous, his decrees will make you right. Right living creates a righteous person. God's never commanded you to breathe. You know why? It's going to come pretty natural. God's never commanded you to eat dessert. And on the eighth day of the seventh year, thou shalt eat brownies. It's not in there. Why? Because that's going to come naturally. Now, he might tell you not to eat dessert, you know, three times a day, but he's not, he doesn't have to command you to enjoy sweets or enjoy your favorite food. He doesn't command you to sleep. Why? Because eventually you will sleep. It comes naturally. So the things that don't come naturally, there will always be a command. Does that make sense? If you don't understand the commands of God, welcome to humanity. We don't always understand the commands of God. And that's the New Testament. The Old Testament, why I can't boil a, a, a goat in its mother's milk, I, I mean, other than it being the worst smoothie ever. 
because goat milk tastes like goat smell. Put a goat in it, a scared goat, it's, it's bad. I don't, I don't even know what the purpose of putting a goat, but, but, but there's a law against it. I don't know why, but when you get to the New Testament, there's, there's laws that I don't understand equally with the whole goat smoothie thing. I don't understand, like, and I've already said it, but it's the one that comes to mind because I deal with anger a lot. I, man, forgiveness is so contradictory to what I think should happen sometimes. I work with third world people groups. Up at the Mazateco Wabla de Jimenez Indians up in, up in the, the Sierra Madres. There, there really isn't law enforcement. If you do something that deserves death and the culture agrees to it, they just find you and kill you. Why am I smiling? Stop smiling. Um, if you beat someone, you're drunk and you're into somebody on the trail and you beat them, their family finds you and they beat you. And it, it helps people know not to do that. No lawyers, no bloody gloves, no Johnny Cochran's, no... What's the guy that's always running for... Figer, yes! Never mind, don't get me started. That's the last guy I probably want to take off anyway, right? There, there are commands that will come naturally to us that will never be commanded. They come naturally. But the things that don't make sense, it, it, it's hard. So God's commands go beyond our nature and require faith, trust, choice, preference to obey. And it's an offering of our free will. When I choose to forgive, when I choose to love, when I choose to lay down my life as Christ laid down the church for his bride and I do that for my bride, when I choose to give when I want more, when I choose to have patience when I want to be impatient to get my way, when I choose what he said over what my heart says, I am blessed and I affirm that his ways are better than my ways. Does this make sense? It's by faith, though. If you thought that God's going to command you to breathe, you don't have to. That comes naturally. But forgiveness comes supernaturally. Giving comes supernaturally. Love comes supernaturally. And we are to live supernatural lives that come out of relationship called holiness. Are you getting this today? Let's look at a couple of other tests. Because the Bible talks about, you know, what we should do and shouldn't do. But what about the stuff the Bible doesn't talk about? There's the inward test. The upward test, God, is there something you've said to me, revealed to me in your word? The other one is inward. Like, is there something? Because sometimes God says things to me that he doesn't say to you. Sometimes things are prohibited for me that aren't prohibited from you. It makes me mad sometimes, too. I, I, I watch people around me during good economies, you know, make tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands of dollars in business ideas. And all. It's like, God, I'm going to go out and I'm going to do this and sell this and flip that and make this idea. And, and so often I heard God's voice say, it's not for you. Don't do that. You're a pastor. You don't do that. And other times, I kid you not, I was sitting in my, in my garage on, on my son's couch because he had a, a couch in my garage for a while. He's home from college. And I'm reading Proverbs, and every, every time I came across a proverb that talked about financial prosperity, I just felt the quickening of my heart. Like, literally, my heart would start beating faster, and I'm like, God, I, I, I'm res I resist. I bind the devil in Jesus' name. You know what I mean? I'm not going to prosper. I, I'm a pastor. And I, I kid you not, the same God who told me you should not go into business is the same God that said flip that house. How many of you guys wish he'd just make up my mind? <laughs> right? But there's different seasons. What matters is not what we do and don't do. What matters is obedience and why. That comes out of relationship. I, I flipped the house because I felt the blessing of the Lord, the encouragement of my father to go do something, and I didn't pursue the idea, the business idea, because God said, that's not for you, son. Holiness is not a standard. Holiness is obedience to a voice, and the voice belongs to a person. The Holy Spirit directs our hearts. So the other question we'd ask the inward is, do I have an inward conviction about this? And look at Romans chapter 14. Interesting stuff. 1 Corinthians 8, Romans 14 talks about people that have different convictions that are both saved. Look at this. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. But each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. And he talks about the reason they should be fully convinced is because they serve a master, not masters 
a master. And if God says, hey, this day is the, you know, a, a sacred holiday, a holy day, that person doesn't have the same conviction, how many of you can see we're in trouble already? You've got a Jewish church that has a Jewish calendar, and you've got Gentiles getting saved that have no calendar. They don't even care what day of the week it is. They don't rest one day in seven. They don't celebrate. They don't abstain from certain foods. They're both saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But this one considers this day holy. And come with us to the temple. Like, we're not welcome in the temple. We're Gentiles. We're not circumcised. Hey, but we do have this festival over here called Ishtar. Now it's called Easter. It's pagan, but, you know, there's bunnies and eggs. So it's pretty cool. And so they say, well, we can't do that. That's abstain. We can't do that. And so there's a church that's about to be divided because what they're looking at is what they do and don't do, not who they do it for. So Paul says, listen, one guy considers this one thing, the other guy considers another thing. Now, again, this is not relativism, and I'll prove it to you. How many of you guys want the sermon to shorten right now? Yeah, come on, piano guys, start playing, man. Let's just get out of here and find that. Now, here's, I'm going to put two people on the platform. You have to use your imagination. One guy, let's, let's just make it ridiculous. He weighs 1,400 pounds, and he's rolled out on a cart. The other guy, is a, uh, he's about 75 miles into a 100-mile run, and he looks like a piece of furniture. He's chiseled, okay? Which, if I say to them, brownies are evil, is that true in both cases? No. The guy that, that is, has a glutton issue and is well overweight and he's unhealthy, he should not be eating that. But the guy that burned out all his glycogen 75 miles ago and needs calories right now because he's starting to eat his own muscle, his body's burning down his own body for fuel to continue to run, he needs that. Am I the amount of marathon runners now, right? <laughs> Absolutely, right? So for me to say brownies are evil, now I may have a conviction about eating brownies, but if I see another person who's 75 miles into a 100-mile run, I say, you know, brownies are evil, and only evil, only evil people eat those things. How many of you guys know I shouldn't be judging the brownie eater? This is going someplace. All I want you to do is to agree with the premise. Did you get the premise? Because nobody cares about brownies, but we'll get to the stuff you care about in a second, right? So is eating brownies sin? But I weigh 1,200 pounds. Is it sin? But I'm 75 miles, 100 miles. Is it sin? Okay, so we, we have to agree that some things are right for people that are wrong for others, and some things are wrong for people that are right for others. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 talks about this too, and really the issue is, in 1 Corinthians 8, it's talking about people that are eating meat in the marketplace that's been sacrificed to a pagan idol. There are some people that, of the Jewish persuasion, I would imagine, they're like, man, idols are like, like you will have no other gods before me, and here you are with this, this carved image, and you're cutting yourself, and you're bowing down, and you're sacrificing animals. I'm not eating anything that's involved in that. But you've got pagans, Gentiles, that have no temple, no Jewish relationship, no holiness of God. They've been, they've been you know, pluritheistic forever. They've been many, many, many gods. And they're like, it's just a rock. I found Jesus. That's a rock. I found Jesus. That's a carved piece of wood. That has no authority, and it, so it's for sale. I'm hungry. I'm making a sandwich. And there's the Jews going, that's a demon sandwich. Don't eat the demon sandwich. That's evil. It's been sacrificed to idols. And idols a hunk of wood. And so we've got, again, this division. And so what Paul's trying to say is, listen, before we get all divided over a piece of wood, let's remember that God's going to speak different things to different people at different times. Some couldn't do it. Which one was right? And they kind of both were. According to Paul, both are right because one person could pass the inward test and the other person couldn't. How many of you guys know there's some things that I do that I can do that you might have a conviction about? And there's some things that you can do that I can't do. You're wrong, but I, you, you know what I'm saying? Yes. <laughs> Third test. It's the outward test. I think this is the one where most of my stuff that's questionable just goes away. Um, I have to ask myself a question about the outward test, and that is how does my life and the things I'm about to do or not do affect the people that I'm responsible for? 
will this choice have a negative effect and impact on those whom I serve, those whom I lead? And this is where Paul says again for Corinthians 8 about the meat. He goes, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I'll never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. So let's say this. You guys understand I have a history with, with alcohol and addiction and all that kind of stuff. I, I'm not here today to tell you that one glass of wine is too many and eight glasses and how many ounces and where you can drive. I'm not here pulling out scriptures, but I'm simply saying this. With my history of, of alcohol abuse, is it a kind or unkind thing when I come to your home for you to put a glass of wine in front of me? And so you would say, you would say, I would think, as, as hosting me or going to lunch with me, meeting me in a restaurant, hey, you want a beer? I, sorry, man, I, I'm an alcoholic. Oh, most people say, oh, I'm sorry. I, I cancel my beer. Why? Because by doing that in front of me, you, there may be the thought, and by the way, I'm delivered from it, and I haven't had a temptation in over 30 years. But I would say this. You kind of sit there and say, well, I, it would be unkind of me to drink, uh, you know, an alcoholic beverage in front of an alcoholic. Right? Another thing, guy's on a diet. He's drinking like grass. And you go to lunch, and he has the salad with the salad sauce, with the grass clippings on the side, with no dressing, with a side of air. <laughs> I have the croutons, but just the air bubbles in between the bread. No, no, no bread. Do you, do you like pound a banana split in front of that guy? Hey, just stick around and watch me eat this. Oh, it's so good. You want the bananas? I don't eat bananas. <laughs> Would you do that to him, to her, to me? <laughs> no, it's my birthday. Be nice to me, right? So... We have to be sensitive to what God is doing in other people's lives. And what we're talking about here is, do, you know, is really it's rights versus responsibilities. If that's my little girl walking down that road, I have a responsibility to that kid. I don't have a little girl, so it's always really emotional. One of these days I have a granddaughter. I, I don't know when it's going to happen, but Josh and Lauren work on the granddaughter. Thank you. Um, all I know is this, guys. It seems like the more responsibility I've accepted in my life, the less rights I have. Do you see that clearly? I know we talk about it a lot, but for those that are visiting today, let me say this to you. If you, if you have, let's, let's just take simple things, money, time, habits, okay? Um, commas between, not money, time, habits. Money, comma, time, habits. Uh, if you get a paycheck and you're single, who, who does that paycheck belong to? How many remember your first paycheck? Anybody remember your first paycheck? I made five bucks an hour, worked 40 hours, and I went and bought a motorcycle for 200 bucks. And I didn't pay taxes. It was glorious. It was just glorious. I worked in a family business, and so we robbed the government. I don't know how that sentence is supposed to end, but it's just whatever it is. And the next week, I had another $200. The next week, I had another, like, $212. The next week, I had, like, like $170 because it rained that week. And I, you know, doing construction, and, and all this money's coming. I remember it was my paycheck. I remember thinking, what should I do with $200? I just remember $200 was, like, more money than you could imagine, you know? Like, man, I could, I could go to the candy store. And I'm thinking, yeah, but then the dentist bills would be more than the candy store. I, I, could, I could join a gym. Nah, I'll go to the candy store. I could buy an Estes model rocket kit with all the Google phonics and the sound. And I could buy the, remember the green machine? It was like six foot tall and used D. So anybody remember the, the Estes rockets and the D, the D like the, yeah, the A's? Oh, aren't they sweet? You know what I mean? But the D's were like, like a V2 rocket taken off in your yard. I could go buy anything I wanted because it was my paycheck. And then I got married. Now, whose paycheck is it? Thank you for saying ours, because I heard somebody say Dina's. No, ours. <laughs> and then we had kids. Whose paycheck is it now? It's theirs. <laughs> yeah, right? Cream of hot dog soup. Go ahead. You know, whatever it takes. 
So let's, let's, let's just, when, when I was single, it was mine. When I'm married, it's ours. When I have kids, it, you see what I'm saying? And what I'm doing is I'm taking on more responsibility. What's happening to my rights? It's not my money anymore. It can't be. Listen, if you're married, still living like you're single, you're doing it wrong. If you're a family that has children, you're still living like it's just you and the kids don't matter. You're doing it wrong. There is a sacrifice of, of rights for every responsibility that comes into your life. And these, by the way, are great blessings that totally outweigh these. I don't have any time, I don't have much money, and I don't have much life. And I would not trade my wife, my children, my grandson, or you for any of it. I am gladly subservient to all of it. Why? Because it's, it's a blessing from God. Like when God entrusted you to with, a, with a spouse, with children, with a grandson, a perfect grandson who never does anything. He, he, was, he was standing up by himself the other day. He grabbed onto my leg and I lifted my leg up. Okay, he kind of stood up by himself, a little help from his friends. He's right there. He smiles at everything I say. He thinks I'm hilarious. How many of you guys know grandsons are perfect? Right? Amen. Right? So let's get into something that's, that maybe you didn't know about me. I, I enjoy smoking a pipe. You probably didn't know that. And the church decided about the 60s that all tobacco was evil and that people who smoke tobacco are evil and the holiness movement and all that kind of stuff. Um, I like the smell of a pipe. I like the feel of a pipe in my mouth. I like the taste of a pipe. Um, I, I like... I like fishing with a pipe. I like carving wood with a pipe. I like banging on metal. I like working on a car, as long as I'm not working on the fuel system of the car. I, I, just, I just like pipes. So let's, let's do the test real quick and see what happens. The upward test. Is tobacco and the use of tobacco strictly prohibited by Scripture? Does it say anything about tobacco? I, I don't think it does. Not that I would know anywhere. There, you could say, well, there are some Scriptures about, you know what I mean, the, the whole thing of the temple of the Holy Spirit, but usually the people that make that argument are 30 pounds overweight and they're drinking a Diet Coke. So it's kind of a hypocrisy. You know what I'm saying? Now, as someone who's really good shape and really, you know, and not just because they wanted to look good, but it was a conviction of the Holy Spirit. I live this way because God's told me to live this way. I feel a bit different about it maybe, but usually the people that argue scripture about that kind of stuff are, they're, they're just regular Americans that aren't all that healthy, right? What about the inward test? Do I personally, I'm not going to answer this for me, do I have an inward conviction, like God has said, Jim, that's not for you? No. No, I, I, I think if anything, it puts me in the mood to pray. It puts me in that, you know, it's something that's kind of monotonous, and I'm, it's kind of like, you can, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not smoking like I'm, it's just, it would be, a, I'm just smoking a pipe, and for some reason, this always precedes thoughts. <laughs> I don't have a beard, or I would just do that, but it's, it's just this, I, it's just the way it is. So, but here's where it breaks down for me is the outward test. By me participating in, in smoking, am I putting Dina at some risk because tobacco can cause mouth cancer, even if you're not inhaling? Can it? Okay. Do I have children that I'm responsible? I'd like to live a long life for. I'd like to be involved in my grandchildren's lives, and I'd like to live a long, happy life. You see what's starting to fail? And not only am I somebody's husband, somebody's father, somebody's grandfather, I'm somebody's pastor. And so I've not smoked a pipe in 32 years. But I'm telling you right now, it's my birthday. <laughs> and I would love, I would love to get a pipe and I'd love to smoke the cherry tobacco, the garbage you got from Revco when you were a kid. I would love that. But I, I'm, I'm never going to smoke a pipe. 
I, maybe I, J.D. and I have this joke where when he turns 70, he's going to smoke a cigar every day because he, he, 70 is really old and you're dying by then anyway. He's so like, hey, 53, it, it's not that far away. <laughs> like, it's, no, you'll, you can still, so maybe you change that to 90. But, you know, I, en- I enjoy a cigar. I, I, I don't enjoy cigarettes, but a cigar, a pipe, I enjoy that kind of stuff. And the, the, the ranker, the worse, the, the nastier gas station tobacco it is, for some reason, the more I enjoy it. But I haven't done it in three decades. Why? Because I'm somebody's husband. I'm somebody's pastor. I'm somebody's father. I'm somebody's grandfather. So, so yeah, thank you. I'm awesome. Uh, no. And I, and I did that to be transparent for a second because I, I just, I just want to say this to you because I, I want it not to be my issue now but yours. Let me just ask you, are there things, and these aren't, I'm not talking about habits. I'm not talking about do you smoke or chew or only girls that do. I'm not talking about my example of holiness. I'm not, I'm, what, what is God saying to you and what are you responsible for? And let's begin to ask some questions. When it comes to politics, let's just take everybody off. You know, there's, a, there's an upward test that, that who we support and what we say should pass, if it can. Nowadays, it's hard. But the closer we can get to that, the better, yes? There's an inward test. You have an inward conviction about who I should or shouldn't or abstain from or whatever. There should be an answer to that. Is there an outward thing? What I do matters to the people around me. What I say on social media matters to the people around me. So am I typing this? Does it, does it pass the upward the inward and the outward test. That's something I would like you to consider. I would strongly urge you, before this fall, which started yesterday, to consider what you're going to say about politics before you say it. And all God's people said. Okay. What about the behavior of our kids? You know, everybody's kids don't act the same. No matter how much we beat them, you know, they just don't act the same. I was in Walmart at 9 o'clock last night, past kids' bedtimes, man. <laughs> Screaming, weeping, and gnashing of teeth at every aisle. They saw Snickers bars placed right at their face level, and they wanted what they saw, and they were tired. I'm just like, <laughs> families. I'm just like, yeah, there am I. Um, how about this one? This is one that's kind of sticky, and we've gotten into this in the past. What about one glass of wine? One beer. I mean, we can make an argument either way, I think, biblically, and people have been doing it for about 100 years, whether or not it's okay for a Christian to drink alcohol or not. We'd all agree drunkenness is bad, right? No, you're like, no, nah, no, nah, drunkenness, no, no, bad. <laughs> the second glass of wine, according to the laws of our state, you can't get behind the wheel. We're, it's affecting our behavior, right? So I, I think one glass of wine we're talking about, not, not two, not ten, not, not a bottle, not three bottles, not a case, okay? One glass of wine, one eight-ounce beer. Is it bad? Is it wrong? Is it right? Well, let's, let's do the upward test, okay? Does Scripture strictly prohibit the use of alcohol in all forms? Again, biblically, I can make a case either way. The inward test, do I have a conviction? By the way, I do. <laughs> it tried to kill me. I, I have a conviction about it that's almost, uh, it's almost a dread. It's almost a fear. I see people drinking. I'm like, oh, please. Oh, you got kids, please. You know what I mean? But I have to be very careful not to overlap my conviction on other people's lives because them doing what I do is not holiness. Them doing what God told them to do is holiness. Does this make sense? Is there an outward test that can be passed? For me, no. Somebody walks into my home, my kid's being raised with a six-pack in the refrigerator or whatever. For me, no, I can't. I won't. And, and because, again, I'm somebody's husband, somebody's father. I'm somebody's pastor. So for me, I can't. Would I enjoy a beer? It always tastes like carbonated, refrigerated goat urine anyway, but... I kind of like being drunk because I was running from things in my own head, my own heart, okay? I was self-medicating. Instead of dealing with the issues through Christ, I was just pushing them aside through the use of alcohol. Does this make sense to you or no? 
Okay, I'm, I'm, sometimes I have to remember you don't have the same path that I walked on. So these are tests, right? And I want you to know something. I'm not, I'm not prescribing legalism. I'm not prescribing license. I'm simply saying this. The only prohibitions and permissions I'm talking about are governed by the laws of love. And, and the laws of love are simply this, you know, is what I'm about to do, is, is it, does it come from me loving God? Does it, does it help me in loving God? And Scripture tells us about drunkenness. Again, not talking about glass of wine, talking about drunkenness. Do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So what it's saying is that what you're going to a bottle for, you can get from worship. And it costs less money, and you don't regret it in the morning. Right? Because drinking carbonated goat urine all night will lead to a bad morning. I know. I had pancakes last night. Woke up this morning hungover. It's terrible. It was my birthday dinner, so I went to IHOP. Don't judge, or IHOB. I'm not sure what it is this week, right? I'm talking about the decisions I'm making. Does it show my love for God's people and for people in general that Jesus died for? Listen, it's not enough, and I want to say this carefully. It's not enough that Jesus died for people if they never hear that Jesus died for them. It's not enough that Jesus died for people if we don't live a life that says we believe it. And not because we're we're holier or better, but because simply I, I live a life that's different, Right? And, and this last thing is, it's just loving to serve. The only prohibitions I'm talking about is it should come out of, our lifestyle should come out of this. And if the answer is, is yes, by the way, you'll find out that, that your life will, you know, it's going to be a narrow path. And what did Jesus tell us our life was going to be like? You know, path is narrow, the door is narrow, few there are that find it. I don't think it's so much finding it, I think it's, I think it's the finding the will to live it. And I'm just, I'm just trying to point out to you what the reality of holiness is how to get there on a day-to-day basis, not allowing yourself to be judged by hypocritical liars, not allowing yourself to live in license where you can do anything you want with a hyper-grace mentality. Really concerned about the hyper-grace message. Really concerned about it. God doesn't care about anything. Everybody's going to heaven. Like, you're denying the totality of Scripture, cherry-picking things you want to see to arrive at that conclusion. Not true. Few there are that will find life. Many there are that will find destruction. That's, that's Bible. Come on, say Amen. I don't want to hear that. I don't want either. And I'm not talking about going to hell. I'm not talking about going to heaven. I'm talking about loving God and loving people and living a life that serves others. And I, and I want to show it to you. Last thing. I want to prove it to you. When Jesus takes on bodily form, or even before that, Jesus is in heaven, ever, ever present, all-knowing, all-powerful, God the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son. What are his rights? What can he do? My birthday card has my nickname on it, the 800-pound gorilla. So I have certain rights. Jesus has certain rights. He's not an 800-pound gorilla. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. He can speak things into existence. He can create anything for his pleasure. Everything he can do, he he can submit himself to, to doing and enjoy anything all the time, everywhere. Or... He can pass through the birth canal of a virgin, lay in the feed trough of a donkey wrapped in in rags, live a sinless life, be rejected and despised by most of mankind, die a sinner's death in excruciating pain, and redeem the world. You talk about rights, talk about responsibilities. If you're here today and like, I don't want to give up and I don't want to give away and I don't want to forgive and I don't want to, I get that. I'm made out of the same junk you're made out of. But I would remind you 
that the one we're following gave up everything for us. And, and there really is this trade-off at some point. He died for me, so I'll live for myself. You see, you see where that breaks down? He died for me, and the more I realize what he died for, the more I realize what he's paid for, the more I go, wow, what a great deal I got. Stay on your feet, please, all over this room. Our young people are going to head to the foyer way now. I understand they're leaving, so take off, guys. I just want you to close your eyes. 90 seconds will be done. Holiness is a narrow road. But man, I'd do anything for my kids. <laughs> Holiness is a narrow road. But man, I'd, I'd do anything for Hollis, my grandson. Holiness is a narrow road. But man, I, I, I can't think of anything that the life that I need to live because I need to live it before you guys as a pastor. I, it, it's, not, it's not hypocrisy. It's not legalism. It's a responsibility. If I'm going to allow people to call me Pastor Jim, then I have to live a life that as much as I enjoy a good pipe of tobacco, I'm, I'm just done with it. As much as I would enjoy a glass of wine, I'm done with it. As much as I'd enjoy going to a movie or, you know, talking about politics angry, or the, as much as I like to not forgive people that sin against me or sin against people I love, I, I have to be done with that. Does that make sense? So what I'm asking you to do now in the closing moments of the service is to make a choice. And, and in those choices, there's three tests. Does what I'm doing, what I'm about to do, what I've done, does it pass an upward test? Does God's word prohibit it or bless it? An inward test. Do I have a specific conviction about this? Is God, because it doesn't matter that everybody else does it if God told me I shouldn't. God tells me I can't. doesn't matter. And the third thing is, does it, does it pass the outward test? By doing this, do I make the glory of God more evident or less evident? I'm, I'm not a martyr. Um, it's not a huge sacrifice not to smoke or drink. <laughs> I don't mean to say that. Because I have found the superior pleasures hidden in Christ, my heart doesn't long for the inferior pleasures of the world. Does that make sense? So I'm like, man, I wish I could see an R-rated movie. I, I, don't, I don't care. I don't even think about it. When you're thinking about Jesus, you won't think about what you're sacrificing for Jesus. When I think about Dina, I don't think about what I gave up to be a married man. When I look at my kids and my grandson, I don't, I don't think about what I'm giving up by being a father and a grandfather. When I look at Jesus, I don't think about the sacrifices. I look at the glory that is involved in this exchange between his heart and mine and this journey he's called me to walk, this tremendous honor, this, this great privilege of preaching the gospel and being, being called into a servant's position to wash the feet of the saints. I, I am so blessed as the fat kid with glasses that got picked last all through school somehow Jesus saw value in me and picked me and put me on a varsity team. I love that. I owe him everything. What could God ask you to do with the right answer? It would be no. What would tell you to give up that you'd say, forget it, I won't do it? I, like right here, right now, we need to learn to pass these tests. And I think some of you here today, maybe you're in the middle of one. And maybe this isn't a teaching on holiness. Maybe this is a prophetic word to help you through the circumstances you're now in. If you know the right thing to do, you have no choice but to do it. God, I ask that today you would bring us to a place where every sacrifice feels great, <laughs> where repentance even feels good. God, with a brokenness that needs comfort, we'd find you in our brokenness. God, I ask that you'd be the consolation 
of everything we've lost. I pray that you would be the reward of everything that we will gain and win. God, I pray that you will be everything in everything, over everything, in everything. God, until what we do, what we be, what, what we say, who we are, God, is a direct reflection of the one who is holy. Let the fruit of our lives be the fruit of your spirit through our lives and nothing more, nothing less. In the end, if we're obedient, we owe no man an apology. In the end, if we're obedient, we, know, we owe no one an explanation. We just want to live for you. So God, I pray today, help us to pass the test. Give us the tools. Let us pass them all. If you're here today, you need the Lord in a different way than maybe you did last week or even yesterday. Man, seriously, this, this cry out for understanding. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is going to be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 13, Paul tells us this. God's, God's not a deaf God that's distant. He's a near God who hears and has waited a very long time to hear you say, I need you. If you need him today, just tell him, God, I need you. I need you to get me through this. I need you to help me. I need you to guide me. I need you to save me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to set me free. I need you to be everything I can't be without you. And then when you ask me for anything, the answer will be yes and amen. Because all of your promises are yes and amen. God, I thank you for it now. Lead us. Love us. Make us like you. And in the end, we'll finish the race. We'll fight the good fight. We'll keep the faith. That's the way it works. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stand still. Altar workers, come forward. Um, if I had a chance to meet you yet, I am a story lover. And if I hadn't heard your story yet, I would love to hear your story. I'll be in that back room hanging out. We've got a little gift for you, too, if you're new here. And uh, if you need prayer, people standing here, they pray. It's what they do. It's who they are. It's an expression. It's an extension of their love for God by loving you. And I encourage you guys, go. Go and use this stuff this week. God bless you. Um, thanks for the birthday wishes. Nobody buy me a pipe. I'm telling you right now. God bless you. We'll see you soon.